0: I love the phrase, you can't read the label from inside the wine bottle, because the truth is, you can't be objective with a situation when you are in it, which is why it can be helpful to have a coach or a mentor who can reflect things back to you. So whether you're a teacher or an administrator, a parent or a superintendent, this type of reflection can lead to opportunities to learn and grow in ways that you never thought possible. Today, my guest talks us through some of the ways we can look at coaching and mentorship, whether you're moving into a new role or you're a veteran in your position. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, it is time to find some peace and joy. My ebook, 24 Ways to Find Calm in Your Busy World, is now available to podcast listeners for free at empowerededucator.com ebook. Here, you will find 24 ways to feel more ease and more joy by noticing the things that are all around you that are usually out of sight. I did all the work for you, and it's yours for free. So download your copy today at empowerededucator.com ebook. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted stressed and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher, mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner, and I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Take Notes. I'm here today with an incredible guest. This is Dr. Darren Peppard, and he is a leadership coach, consultant, and speaker, focused on organizational culture and climate, and coaching emerging leaders. Darren is the best-selling author of the book, Road to Awesome, and is the host of the Leaning Into Leadership Podcast as, as he calls it, a recovering high school principal, Darren shares strategies and lessons learned from his 26 years in public education to help leaders gain clarity, find their joy in their work, and walk in their purpose. Darren, thank you so much for being here and chatting with me on Take Notes today.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jen. Thanks for having me. And gotta say, when you read it that way, 26 years, man, it seems like wow, that was a long time. And I guess maybe it doesn't seem like it It actually was a long time. It really was.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a lifetime. And how wonderful now you get to share your beautiful wealth of knowledge and experience with other people and school leaders who are going through some things that you can help guide them. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of why I jumped into this work. I'm neither old enough nor wealthy enough to just retire. But I did feel like what I want to be able to do is to really help those early career leaders. And let's be honest, right now across the country, even our schools that have the best culture and climate can use additional support on school culture and climate. So I love that I'm able to share experiences and things I did wrong and a few things I did right and that kind of thing with schools around the country.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. People often consider needing help as a sign of like lack or that they are not doing enough or they're not reaching a certain level. But the truth is support, especially in any place like culture, needs to happen all the time as just part of what we do here. There doesn't necessarily have to be a need for remediation. This is just about being able to survive in a changing world that's sometimes changing faster than we can even turn our heads. And so I think what you do and what other people like you are doing in this world is really important to just maintain a steady level of growth for our school districts across the United States.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what it really does, too, on top of everything you just said, which was spot on, is what I do is I provide that third point perspective. I'm not right in the middle of it. And so often in leading our own schools or leading our own districts or leading our own classrooms... We get so deep into the work and just so engrossed in it that we end up with blinders on. And it's not intentional. It's not even a bad thing. It's just sometimes really beneficial to have that outsider perspective who can mention, hey, I noticed this or ask questions like, what is your strategy here? Or what are you seeing as progress in this particular area? Or whatever the case may be. And that third point perspective, that coaching perspective, I think is just so valuable
0: hundred percent. And it's funny, I think when we get to a certain level in our career, there sometimes is this belief that, like, I'm good. I don't know that I need any reflection back at me or if there is an opportunity for observation and conversation. Often what I've observed and I've heard from other people's experiences is this can be a very high stakes, uncomfortable conversation. And it really doesn't have to be. I mean, having these growth conversations can be a beautiful opportunity for both parties to learn and communicate and grow. And essentially... Do what we want to do better, which is have an impact on the kids and the communities that we serve.
1: Yeah, man, you just hit two things that were just. Oof, I'm going to try and unpack both of them. Oh, there we go. Let's do it. I'm not the host of the show. You are, but I just sounded like I was trying to be the host of the show.
0: We did this on your podcast too. It was great.
1: Yeah. First and foremost, is it's just that coaching piece. Everybody can benefit from a coach, and you're right. It's not this, you're in a lacking situation. I mean, in some cases, among my clients around the country, I have a superintendent who has been in the role since October, kind of thrust into the role and is also running an elementary school and just trying to keep her head above water. So the feedback and the perspectives that I'm going to share with her are a little bit different than, say, a high school principal that I'm working with that has a you know really good team and a really well-oiled machine, but he's new in the role. The feedback and the input for everybody is a little bit different both times.
0: I think something that I want to talk about a little bit before we kind of move on to the nitty gritty of what it means to be a coach and why it's important as an administrator or really at any level in your career in education or even if you're in another industry. As someone who's been on both sides of coaching now, I see the incredible value in having somebody talk with you through things, right? But I do want to talk about this idea of moving up, and I'm doing like air quotes here, moving up into administration, right? Those people who really excel in the classroom were often told, you'd be great as an administrator. When are you going to move up to being a principal? When are you going to get your administrator certification? I was one of those people. And I always was confused as to why that was the next perceived step in a career path. And sometimes people move into these places because they think that's what their next level is supposed to be. But from your perspective now, both sides in and out of the classroom and in and out of the school system as an administrator, what do you have to speak to about that kind of thing? What do you really need to know about yourself to make the decision about whether or not you want to go into administration besides what other people are telling you you are supposedly supposed to do?
1: Right. It's interesting. That's such a great question. And it puts a bunch of thoughts in my head and I'll try hard to hang on to them this time. But I think first and foremost, as an individual, when you're considering taking that leap out of the classroom into whatever administrative role, maybe it's principal role, assistant principal role, something like that, or taking the next leap like I did from high school principal to superintendent or something like that. Number one, you've got to be real clear with yourself what you value and what's important to you. I didn't do it the right way. I did exactly what you just described, which is people said, oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And therefore, that's what I did because I just believed that's what the career path is supposed to be. And the next job will make me even happier than I am in this role. And The reality is, and you said it in my introduction, I identify as a recovering principal because to me, that's the best job I ever had. absolutely loved being a high school principal. Not that I didn't love being a superintendent. Man, there's something special about being a high school principal and we can chase that later. But I had this belief that I got to chase the next job. And instead of looking within myself and identifying what I really, really cared about, what I really valued, and that was being able to make a difference with my students right there on the ground. Now, I did have this belief that moving into a superintendent role, I would have the opportunity to coach and grow more leaders. And as a high school principal, I had three assistant principals, big leadership team, instructional coaches, I mean, the whole bit, that I, a big part of my job was to groom them. I loved that. Now, and a handful of them have gone on to be building principals, one is a superintendent. I mean, it's exciting to see where they've gone. But when I moved into the superintendent role, I discovered, no, you don't have time to do that. You really don't. I think the second thing beyond first identifying what do you really care about is number two, you've got to think about your skill set and what it is that you're going to be comfortable doing, what you're going to be comfortable stretching yourself to do. Because as you mentioned, Jen, people are successful in the classroom and therefore people say you should be an administrator. The skill sets are completely different. There's a belief that it's just the same thing. And this is where the coaching piece comes in. School districts throw the keys to the principal and say, hey, good luck. The skill set's so different. And that's why they struggle, because as a classroom teacher, so much is about pedagogy. So much is about building relationships with your students. So much is about being able to grow those little individuals in your classroom, whether they're kinders or, or seniors, they're still little people as a school leader. Now your role is to lead people and to be able to be clear on a vision, to be very clear on the action steps and the work you're going to do to bring everybody to that vision. It's a whole different skill set. Now, I don't say that to scare anybody away, but I think people should go in eyes open because I didn't. And looking back, that's where my coach made such a difference for me. We're going to talk about coaching constantly, but When I was provided an executive leadership coach after my second year as a principal, and I struggled mightily in my first year, I realized the difference between the job I had over here as an assistant principal, which was very task-oriented discipline or leading PLCs or curriculum or whatever the case may be, to as the building principal, you're a leader of people. And that as a high school principal, especially, Jen, you're like the leader of the community. I mean, I remember when I got the job, my wife was like, I can't dress down when I go to Walmart anymore. It's like you're the mayor now. And jokes aside, that's very true, especially in a single high school town. It's like a political role. So I think that's something that people need to be really aware of when they're looking at, do I take the leap to the next level? Do I go ahead and pursue that administrative position? They're wonderful jobs. Please don't think I'm trying to talk anybody out of it. Just be conscious and cognizant of the difference between being a classroom teacher and being an administrator.
0: Sure. Well, I think it always comes down to alignment, right? It's, again, something that you mentioned a little bit is what feels good to you. And it's really easy. And I observed this too throughout my career is when people tell you these kinds of things, you feel important, right? And you're like, oh, wow, I'm respected here. Oh, you want me to have more responsibility? That feels good. But what I've now come to realize is that that feeling is different than alignment. That sometimes that feeling is actually connected to an emotional addiction to pressure and stress and busyness and overwhelm, which may feel exciting, but it's actually not aligned with who you are and who you want to be at that time of your life. And you really need to take some time, look inward so you can go in with eyes open as to exactly what you're doing when you decide to make that next step. If you decide to make that next step, I didn't want to do that. I thought it was capable, but it just didn't feel aligned to me. So I didn't want to to make that particular step. I do want to ask you a question, too, because this kind of ties into something else that you mentioned is imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure that you deal with that a lot, especially with people who are coming into these new roles from being in the classroom to now all of a sudden being a leader of people, as you described. How do you coach people through those sorts of feelings?
1: Oh, man, that's such a great question. It makes me think, actually, of a principal that I'm working with right now who had been an athletic director prior to becoming a high school principal. His classroom experience was as an inclusive special education teacher. And his imposter syndrome, his imposter that comes out is, how can I go into a calculus class? How can I go into an AP chemistry class? How can I go fill in the blank? How do I go in there? and provide any quality feedback about instruction when i taught special education and a lot of how we defeat that imposter is through repetition it's through being honest with ourselves confronting the pieces that cause that imposter to come forward and starting to stop rationalizing this deficit mindset in this particular person's case i've spent a lot of time in his school and Luckily for him, I mean, I'm really proud of him for this, but his focus is on growing as an instructional leader in his school. And so we're spending lots of time in classrooms, which that's how you overcome that. Get in the classroom. If you're going to stay in your office, your staff won't see you as that instruction leader. Get out there, have those conversations and just be genuine with people. Tell me this, Jen. I mean, what is the perfect classroom experience in order to give somebody feedback? Is there one? (laughs) I mean, really?
0: No, there's no such thing.
1: Yeah. But I think a lot of times administrators fall into that. I have one that I'm working with that taught at the elementary level, taught at the high school level as a middle school principal. Staff will say, well, but you didn't teach middle school. That doesn't matter. Good instruction is good instruction. You can give quality feedback on instruction regardless the level you've been at. That with him in particular, that's how we've really addressed that imposter. Now, the reps that I talked about, that repetition, that's getting in the room, that's having conversations with staff, that's asking good questions. I think a lot of times administrators, especially early career administrators, they fall into this belief, and and I'm chasing the instructional piece because this is typically where people have the imposter come up the most. They fall into this belief that they have to have all the answers when they go in the classroom. Like, I have to tell this pre-calculus teacher who was the state teacher of the year how she could do something better. No, you don't. (laughs) You take the third point perspective and you come in and you just ask a good question. The administrator that I'm talking about, in his case, we talked a couple of weeks ago about just asking good questions. Like he has a staff member that he'd like to push him a little bit, but he's been teaching for 30 years. And so the strategy that we're using is, hey, can you give me some advice on this particular strategy? I have a first and second year teacher who are using something similar. I'd like to see them grow it a little bit more. What advice can you give me? When we're asking our veteran teachers for advice, they are going to lean into us because just like you said a few minutes ago, they believe in you, they trust you, they want you to have this additional responsibility. And if you ask for advice, they're going to give it. They're happy to give that. So I think there's a lot of ways to address the imposter, but number one, address it head on. Come right at it. Don't hide from it because if you do, It's just going to continue to linger. I mean, it's going to be a shadow over your head all the time.
0: It gets bigger. The last piece of it I think is really important is that when you come from a place of curiosity, always it is going to be more effective than anything else you can possibly do in a situation that makes you feel uncomfortable. Because when you are getting rid of the judgment, which sometimes when you you come into these conversations or these interactions that we're talking about with these observations or conversations with teachers, there is this idea, like you said, or belief that I need to know all of the things. And that's really about self-judgment of yourself. You
1: shouldn't
0: anything, right? And so when we replace that judgment with curiosity and just think to yourself, well, what questions do I need to ask this person sitting across the table? What questions do I need to ask myself? All of a sudden now the conversation shifts and everything moves towards a place that moves in the direction of progress instead of, I think, feeding the imposter.
1: Absolutely. That gives me one more thing just really quick. I want to add on to that what you were just saying, there, kind of repeating back. uh, And I appreciate you did that, that. You don't have to have all the answers. I fell into that trap my first year. And what I discovered, and this is, I guess, another way to address the imposter is remember who sat in the hot seat when you interviewed for the job. You did. It was you. And not only that, remember who answered the phone when they called to offer the job? That was you. Remember who said yes, that still was you. I fell into this trap of, I call it Superman syndrome, where I thought I had to be everything to everybody. Like I had to be the smartest one in the room always. I had to have everybody, you know, answer everybody's questions, solve everybody's problems. And oh my God, Superman did not sit in that chair when I interviewed. I did. They called me and offered me the job. I said, yes, not Superman. You got to be yourself. And yes, you do have to be willing to look yourself in the mirror and be comfortable with your shortcomings and be willing to say, hey, I want to grow and get better here. Tell your staff, man, get vulnerable and be honest with your staff. Hey, I'm not very good at this. I'm really good at this, this, and this. Your staff already knows that, by the way. When you tell them, hey, I, I know I have to grow and get better here. That's when they really start to lean into you and start lifting you up and saying, hey, have you thought about this? Or, hey, come to my classroom today. I've got something going on I want to share with you. And before you know it, what you said, which was absolute dynamite, absolute gold, was it starts to become conversations. And it's no longer about judgment. It's no longer about evaluation. It's about conversation and how do we be the best we can be for those little people that come into our building every day.
0: Yes. And that's how we elevate that. This is how we do it. It seems so simple because it is. We get so caught up in judgment and ego and supposed to's and tradition, and that we lose sight of what's really important. And what's really important is making an impact on the communities that we are serving. And we can only do that when we rise together. And the only way we do that is by talking to each other as human beings. And this is something I have to pick up what you just put down for me, because I know you planted it there for me to pick up was the Superman syndrome, Yeah, I'm grabbing the bait for me, Darren. That narrative, which we've talked about before and what I've shared in my TED talk is that we are not superheroes. And it's that narrative that does get very dangerous because while it plays out for different people in different ways, what you just described is another one of them is feeling as if you need to know all of the things and be everything to everyone. And that is a recipe for failure. What happens is when you as an administrator take on this persona of a superhero, your staff looks to you that way. And what happens then is that when things aren't going well, you get all the finger points and all the blame for everything that's going wrong in the schools. And that's just simply not true. And this humanizing of educators at all levels is really important. And again, we'll start to open up doors for conversations between humans instead of this hierarchy that seems to be perceived in how we operate schools right now. Can you talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll start with the hierarchy. I think this gets back to you you said the word tradition. And traditionally, you go into administration and therefore this is what you do people get really wrapped up in the job description too of, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to do in this role. And a part of it is I'm going to evaluate my teachers and I'm in charge of the budget and I'm this and I'm this. But the role of the administrator has changed. I think certainly in the last 10 years, but definitely in the last three or four years, in so many ways, the leader of the school needs to be the champion of the school, not just the manager of the school. And When that transition took place and we moved away from the principal just being the disciplinarian, by the way, as a principal, I did basically zero discipline. I had an assistant principal for that. Principals, they're the champion of their schools. That's what they need to be. They need to be the chief storyteller, the person that crafts the narrative of who our school really is. They need to be the person that is able to stand up and kind of maybe pull back the shirt a little bit and let the Superman symbol come through when that hard criticism comes from the outside. They have to be that person who's willing to deflect that from their staff to protect them and and keep them feeling like they are doing the right work. You can't do it forever. But sometimes as a principal, you have to be that person. Sometimes you have to be the mentor, that person who's growing people. So many different responsibilities for principals. That traditionally, that's not what they did. To me, that's one of the biggest struggles I see. People running into administrative roles, especially right now, there's like this vacuum in leadership roles. And not that there aren't people to fill them, but this vacuum was created at the end, the end of the line, if you will, where superintendents like myself who stepped out or retired and principals who have stepped out and retired a little early. Now there's all these positions and all these people have come charging into the roles but they're not ready yet. They need the support. They need the guidance. They need the coaching and that kind of stuff, because I think they know and they see what the role of the principal can and should be. But so many of their schools and their communities are stuck in that tradition of, no, the principal is basically the manager of the school. I think I scrolled a little bit away from what your question was.
0: No, I think you did hit on something that's so important because For those of you who've been listening for a while, know that I generally like to think of tradition as peer pressure from dead people. I mean, we are living in a world that's different from where these traditions started. And traditions can be great if they are serving us. But when we do something because of tradition, for tradition's sake, we are actually doing a huge disservice to our communities. And like I said just a minute ago, we live in a different world. And we need to work and live and love and care for each other and learn and grow in this world. And that means that we need to shift our paradigms a little bit. And if people aren't getting on board, well, then we need to start having those conversations by asking really good questions.
1: Yeah, so so I'm gonna go somewhere that you are either gonna love or hate. I don't know, we're gonna find out. Give it to me. You said tradition enough, and I absolutely, I'm over here laughing with the dead people reference, because where it takes me, as back to my master's program, and I don't think I learned a lot in my master's program, but I do recall Dr. Mike Ford was the instructor for this particular course. I don't even remember what the course was, but we got into this conversation about tradition, and he turned and looked at somebody in the room and said, "Tevia, you just need to let it go." And almost no one in the room got the reference, so he made us watch. Oh, what? yeah, he made us watch Fiddler on the Roof in the class,
0: as he should.
1: Yes. And that's, I mean, every time I end up in a conversation like this, where we're talking about these traditions, we won't let go of, I think of Tevia because that's like the plot of that movie. It's tradition for the sake of tradition. My God, let it go. So yes, we have to let go of some of the traditions that we've hung on to. I think it's part of why we face so much outside criticism right now in education, because we think we've evolved, but we really haven't. Not enough. And yeah, let it go, Tevia. Let it go.
0: Yes. Well, you're speaking to a former music teacher and a Broadway. That's why I you'd love it. So yeah, and if you haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof, please make sure that you go do that right after this episode.
1: That is the only time I will probably ever talk about Tevia on a podcast. So save this one, <laughs> folks. This is gold. <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, not the last time for me, though, I'm, I'm okay. sure. Um, and now you'll think of me every time you mention Tevia. hundred percent. But it's true. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that there are pockets of beautiful evolution happening. And COVID provided us a brilliant opportunity to start fresh. I'll be totally honest with you, Darren. When we had that time period between March 2020 and the start of school in fall of 2020, my rose colored glasses were on so super tight. I was like, "Ah, oh, this is going to be great because we're all going to realize all of the things that are going wrong and we're going to be able to fix them finally because we can start fresh and we can have these beautiful conversations with each other. And I was having conversations with educators all across the United States and we were talking about pivoting and how we were going to be creative and da, 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 da. And then what happens? Fall of 2020 came around and there was zero changes regarding the progress of where education could go. And instead, we were trying to fit the square peg in the round hole now with all of the limitations that needed to happen for safety procedures, right? And now we're back to where we were and not very much has changed. And I think part of why I'm on this very serious mission is so people can stand in their power in a way to take what they've learned from that time and actually generate some action that will move education forward to align with this time that we are living in right now.
1: Well, it absolutely should be like a golden age for education. And another one of those things that has, I guess, anchored progress from getting out of the dock, if you will, is this awful, awful phrase. One, I just can't stand this learning loss because because kids weren't in, in school and didn't learn whatever. I mean, participles or the quadratic equation or who cares? They learned it the next year. It's not a learning loss. It's think about everything they did learn or the opportunities they had to learn. And some schools, Jen, did a brilliant job with this. They embraced it. They said, here's a golden opportunity. And they took it. Unfortunately, so many school boards and legislative bodies and that kind of thing, as we started to move back into getting school going, got just focused on things like masks and social distancing. Yeah, those things are important. But I remember telling my leadership team, Guys, we need to focus on teaching and learning. I mean, that's what we're here for. And I'm not saying let's focus on the things they missed. Let's focus on what they did learn. Let's focus on where we can go from here because, hey, this is a great opportunity to innovate. We can do so many cool things. But then, yeah, there are schools that just didn't take advantage of it. I mean, even simple things. I had a conversation yesterday with a girl I went to high school with. It was a conversation on Facebook. She's a teacher in my hometown, fairly large district. And they've done everything they need to have remote learning in place. So you should never have a snow day, right? You know, I mean, that's an easy thing. They're making kids come to school when it's 25 degrees below zero and the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour. I grew up in central Wyoming, by the way, and which it does that all the time. But here they have this opportunity to say, hey, this is too cold. It's not safe. Let's just do a remote learning day and they won't do it. They won't pull the trigger on it. Because they face some political backlash from people in the community. If it's what's right for kids, why wouldn't we do it? Eventually, people will see, oh, yeah, this is what's right for kids. But they're stuck in tradition. And I don't want to pull us back into the tradition conversation, but that's what it is.
0: Oh, that's what it is. That's an important theme here because that's the thing that's holding us back. But I want to actually go back to something else that you said earlier, because now as a role of of a leader, as you said, you are the chief storyteller. Mm -hmm. So how do you use that platform as a leader to move your school forward in a direction that is keeping us where our feet are right now in the present, moving towards a future that we cannot predict while maintaining your integrity? as a district regarding your vision and what you stand for. How do you coach people to do that? That's a big role.
1: It is. It's very, very big. And I would tell you that first and foremost, the most important thing is you've got to have a clear vision. You've got to have that vision and you have to start to build that groundswell of support from within your staff around that vision. This is what I'm talking about when we go back to the role of the principal isn't to be the manager, you know, a big part of what you do. And, and even when we talked about the skill sets, this is a skill set that's way different than than what you need in a classroom. Not that some classroom teachers don't have that skill set. They do. I'm not downplaying them. But this is that part of the skill set where you have to be this great storyteller of this vision and you have to tell it to everyone and you don't tell them once you tell them over And you tell them over and you tell them over and you tell them over because the longer you speak life into it, the more likely it is to become a reality. It's just like chasing a goal or anything else for that matter. If I said, Hey, I want to run a marathon, I don't just say it once and hope it happens. There's work that goes into that. There's training. There's dedication. There's planning and there's accountability. So when you're crafting that compelling narrative of your school. Yes, you're starting with that groundswell of the people right around you, but you don't leave out the other stakeholders. It's getting your community on board. I'll tell you, as a high school principal, I talk about it all the time about the benches that were in in our high school and how I spent most of my time on a bench. I was either talking with students or I was talking with some of my staff or if I had parents in the building, I would sit and talk with parents. I mean, you never pass up an opportunity to talk about the great things at your school. But it isn't just about being out having coffee with people and going to Kiwanis Club and going to this luncheon and that. I mean, those things are important, but it's also what you said. You said it so well, and I don't know if I can recapture it, but being aware of where your feet are and your feet need to be in the classrooms too, because that's part of the narrative that you want to be sharing. The more great things I'm talking about in the community about my teachers, the more great things I'm sharing, whether it's social media or even print media, I mean, whatever about the great things my kids and my staff are doing—that speaks life into it. Jen, I have a good friend who—he's an assistant principal or an assistant superintendent now, but he was a high school principal in Virginia. A brilliant high school principal, and part of his compelling narrative was that they were the greatest high school in America, or the world's greatest high school. Sorry, it's the world's greatest high school is what he would say. North Stafford High School, Stafford, Virginia. That's how Tom Nichols would refer to a school. Hey, we're at the world's greatest high school. It reached a point during Tom's tenure where people would say, yeah, Tom's over there at the world's greatest. They stopped calling it North Stafford. It was just the world's greatest. That's what they called it. It's an incredible high school. But they did a lot to breathe life into that. People started taking pride in that. And people would ask him, you know, hey, Tom, how can you prove to me it is? And his response was always, how can you prove to me it isn't? How can you prove to me it isn't? Everything we're doing here is to be the world's greatest high school. And now what's wrong with that? So again, have that compelling vision and speak life into it constantly. You don't have to be a big front man like I can be. I mean, I love that role, by the way. It it shouldn't come as a surprise, but you don't have to be super flamboyant or, you know, you don't have to be always the person on the mic, but you do have to live your values out loud. And when you do that, other people come along and they start to live it too. And before you know it, it isn't just your voice. Everybody's telling your story.
0: I'm so glad you shared that example because that really underscores the power of the vision and then the collective vision. Because while you might be the chief storyteller, what you're doing is you are empowering others to tell their own stories within this greater vision. And that's really the magic of vision. Absolutely. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. A vision that belongs to one person isn't a vision. It's a hope. It's a dream. And that's how it starts, right? It starts as a hope. It starts as a dream. My high school, and we were on the road to awesome. I mean, that was our thing. And obviously, road to awesome has just become who I am. But that's how it started. Hey, we're all on the road to awesome. We're all going somewhere. Why wouldn't we go somewhere awesome? That's what we kept saying. That's what we kept saying. And before you knew it, we were pretty doggone awesome because it went from my vision And my dream, to everybody taking so much ownership of that. And yeah, that's what I just got chills telling that story. I haven't told that story that way, I don't think, in a while. It was cool.
0: (laughs) I got chills through the Zoom camera, for sure. It's powerful. And I hope those of you who are listening can really appreciate the value in what Darren's sharing right now. And this vision idea has so many layers to it. And I truly believe This is how we change the world is we visualize something that doesn't exist yet. And we, like you said, live it out loud. I think that's beautiful. And get the people around us to rally. And so it's not just you anymore. It's you and your community and whatever that community looks like. So thank you for sharing that and highlighting that that beautiful story.
1: Yeah. Let me put a bow on that too. Here's what happens when you do it. Over time, over time, over time, it just becomes its own thing. And now that's how we've always done it here, becomes that and not that old tradition.
0: Yes, that's it. I like how you tied that back around. I loved that. So before we go, I do want to ask you the question that I ask everybody, which is what is your dream for the future of education?
1: Oh, I love this question. And I think first and foremost, the dream, the future education for me is every student as an opportunity to chase their dreams. I know it it seems kind of watery to say that, but what I don't think we should be doing is continuing to keep kids in a box. And there was a point in time when this was when I was a high school principal, when our state had adopted and it was happening across the country, this whole career ready thing. And it was the way they phrased it was career or college ready. So in other words, you had two boxes. We're either preparing you to go to college or we're preparing you to go into a career. Newsflash, Jen, everything you do in school is about preparing kids to go into a career. They might go to college, but you're preparing them for a career. Their career might be stay at home mom. Their career might be somebody who works from home, but you're still preparing them for a career. If we can get to a point where students have the opportunity to have their own dream, their own vision, like we just talked about with a school. If each individual kid can have that dream and be able to put a path together to take them there, it's a wandering path. You and I both know that. I mean, the, the dream that you might have as a six year old is going to change when you're 10 and when you're 13 and when you're 17. But as long as you understand and know as a child that you have control of that path, that you are your navigator and that you have all this support around you to get there. To me, that would be the dream of what education should be going forward. Let's stop putting them in boxes. Let's stop even the meme that says things like, let's normalize going into career technical skills. I think we did that. Let's stop sharing that meme. All that meme does is reinforce the two stupid boxes. Let's normalize kids being able to create a path that takes them to the dream that they have for their future. That's what we should be doing.
0: I would love to be the chief storyteller for that one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes.
0: You want to be the co-chiefs? Heck yeah, Yeah, we'll, we'll co-chief that one. <laughs> well,
1: I'm with you. 100%. <laughs>
0: yes. So, so good. And I would love for you to share with my listeners today. How can people learn more about you and your work and your book? Tell us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it starts with RoadToAwesome.net. That's the website. That'll tell you everything about me, about everything about the work that we do here at Road to Awesome, everything from the coaching and consulting that you and I have talked about during this, the speaking that I do at conferences and at schools and all that kind of stuff, and even the work we do on the publishing side here at Road to Awesome, all of that at roadtoawesome.net Actually, there's roadtoawesome.net backslash books. And that's where not only my book, but all the books that we have published here at Road to Awesome can be found. My book, as of when we're recording this, is going to be dropping here any day. It's a second edition of my book, Road to Awesome. This one's kind of fun. It's The Journey of a Leader. Made some pretty significant updates and changes to the original book. And I'm really super excited about that. So yeah, everything at the website, on social media, I'm Darren M. Peppered everywhere. And you can always email me. It's Darren at RoadToAwesome.net.
0: Thank you. And all of those links are going to be in the show notes as well. So it'll be super easy for people to get in touch with you. Darren, thank you so much for your time and sharing your talents with me and the Take Notes audience today. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate you giving me the platform and just sitting down and having this awesome, awesome conversation today.
0: Yes. And for those of you who are listening, if you like today's episode, please share it with a friend. Give it a five-star review and don't forget to subscribe. And we will see you next time on Take Notes. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible. And it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.